There's a model of heaven down here below. It's a picture of glory sublime. With the glorious body of Christ our dear Lord, live here on creation of thine. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice for a bitter and sinful old tree. You hunger between heaven and earth, my dear Lord. Increase my devotion to thee. The beauty down here, it just gives us a glimpse of lovely and marvelous scenes. That heavenly city is calling me home, that wonderful place of my God. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice, what a bitter and sinful old tree. You hunger between heaven and earth, my dear Lord, increase my devotion to Christ, how he is and was our prophet, priest, and king. And even more than that, he's not just all three of these things wrapped up together, but what we also see is he's a perfect example of each one of these. So let's keep looking at each one of these three different ways that uh, Jesus Christ has helped us and benefited us. For starters, let's see how Jesus Christ was the prophet. Now, the, the job of a prophet was to be the spokesperson, you know, be, be the mouthpiece of God for, uh, for God to the people is kind of what it is. Usually that message that the prophets proclaimed was something to do with repentance, that, that the people needed to change their ways and they needed to be following God, most certainly following God more closely than what they were before. Now, one of the earliest recorded sermons says this about Jesus Christ being the prophet. In Acts chapter 3, what we're going to notice is not just that Jesus was a prophet, but specifically he was a certain type of prophet. He's known as the prophet. In fact, that's kind of what the language that is being used here. And it comes to something that was stated for Moses. Let's look at Acts chapter 3, and we're going to see this is a sermon that Peter is preaching. The reason why he's preaching it is 
he's done a miracle and people are starting to realize, hey, you know, something's going on. And he says, let me tell you about Jesus Christ, because that's the only reason why we are able to do this miracle in the first place. Acts 3, 17 through 23. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he has foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send you the Messiah, that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. In Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. See, specifically here in verse, uh, I guess, 22 and 23, we find out this goes back to what Moses was told. That Moses was told that the Lord was going to raise up a prophet. And guess what? The point that Peter is making right here is Jesus Christ was that prophet. He's the prophet that's like Moses. So if you think that Moses was a really great guy, which eh, he was for the most part, yes, he had his faults, but he was a great guy. But Jesus is even better. If you thought that Moses was a great prophet and a great lawgiver, guess what? Jesus is even better than that. He is a, a prophet that is like Moses. You know, Jesus came and he was a prophet like Moses. And in the sense that, you know, Moses was the, this one who had a special relationship with God and God would tell him things and then he would deliver those things to the people. In many ways, that's how the relationship with Jesus Christ was with our Heavenly Father. And it was so important that the Israelites listened to Moses during uh, that time because Moses was speaking on behalf of God. It is so important that we today listen to the words of Jesus. We need to listen to everything that he tells us so that we can be a part of the people of God. If we can't listen to Jesus, if we can't follow what Jesus is asking of us, then we will not be able to be the people of God, the people that God wants us to be. But Peter even says a little bit more than just this, though. In verses 24 through 26, Peter says, Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. See, that was the intention of what Jesus was, was doing. Jesus was raised up by God and he was sent to the Israelites. Whenever he was sent to the Israelites and there was supposed to be this blessing. And, you know, I guess it might have looked a bit different if they had really welcomed Jesus. You know, I don't know exactly uh, how that that would have happened if they had welcomed Jesus and been able to to kind of embrace his teachings, at least, you know, as, as a nation. But as a nation, they rejected Jesus. They rejected his teaching. And because of that, Jesus Christ, he suffered and he died on that cross. He was sent to bless them, and they wouldn't accept his blessings. The, the point of what he was trying to get them to do is to repent, is to turn from their wicked ways. But apparently they liked those ways a little too much, and they didn't repent. They didn't change. They didn't listen to the voice of God. They didn't listen to the prophet of God. 
that came in that same type of form like what Moses did, the one that was prophesied that was going to come. We also see that this was how, um, through Abraham, all of these different people on earth, all the different nations are going to be blessed. We see that happening through Jesus Christ. We see that all these prophets that have led up to this time, they were telling that Jesus Christ is going to come. Now, they usually didn't use the words Jesus Christ, of course, but that's what they were prophesying about. They were telling about a time when the prophet was going to come and that he is the one that everybody needed to listen to, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus also serves in another role, though. Not only he is the prophet that we need to listen to, but he is also our priest. Not just any priest, but he is our high priest. And he's a special high priest because, you know, there's very specific instructions given all the way back in the book of Exodus that um, through uh, the line of Aaron is going to come all the different high priests. But Jesus wasn't from the line of Aaron. He wasn't from the line of Levi even. But yet Jesus Christ, he is our high priest. Now, uh, the point of a priest and kind of the purpose of a priest was that they would serve before God's presence on behalf of the people. They were the ones that carried out the daily um, sacrifices and different rituals and stuff that happened at the temple. And they were the ones that just constantly um, were, were involved in, in uh, people being able to receive forgiveness of sins and, uh, and all those types of things like that. They served before God's presence on behalf of the people. Jesus Christ most certainly did this job for us. In the book of Hebrews, we see, we're going to look at a few different passages here in the book of Hebrews because this is a, this is a wonderful book that tells us about kind of the, uh, the Hebrew importance uh, of what Jesus did and kind of how everything in the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it, it points toward Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 5 verse 1, we see this is kind of a good working definition for what a priest is. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's what a prophet was supposed to do. And we see that Jesus Christ has done that. Verses five and six, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son today, I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now see the significance of what the Hebrew writer is bringing up right here is, is he says that, that Christ didn't kind of just raise himself up and said, okay, well, you just need to respect me as a priest. That's not what it was. You know, just like a, a regular high priest couldn't just say, oh, well, you just need to respect me as a priest and all. No, he had to come from a certain line. His position had to be blessed and had to be set up by God. Well, Jesus Christ came and his position was most certainly set up by God, but in a different way. He comes from a different order, a different type of priesthood. This is a different one. Uh, in verse 6, it says that, that Jesus is this priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is this weird person that we read about all the way back in the book of Genesis. I mean, he comes before Aaron. He comes uh, even before Levi. I mean, he comes really, really, really early on. And he uh, actually has an encounter with Abraham. And we see some very interesting things because Melchizedek is described as this priest. He's also described as being a king. So that's kind of interesting that he has that dual role. And we most certainly see that Jesus Christ has those two dual roles as well as being the prophet. So the priesthood that Jesus Christ came in is in this order of Melchizedek. It's different. It's a different type of priesthood. That's why it didn't matter that he came from the line of Aaron because he's going to be a different priest. He is the son of God, as verse 5 talks about. And 
and Jesus was, was lifted up by our Father to serve in this role. Another passage, if we keep kind of looking in Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 12. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Let's make sure that we listen to this. Let's make sure that we, we heed this warning here because I, I believe this is a warning for us. Because the Hebrew writer, the way he's describing this is he's explaining to us how Jesus did these things. Uh, how he served uh, on our behalf before our Heavenly Father. And we see that he did all these things. He offered up these things and he was heard. And because of that, he did obey God in verse 8. We also find out that he was uh, made perfect, as verse 9 talks about. And because of this, he, came, he became the source of eternal salvation. He allows us, the ones who obey him, to receive this eternal salvation. That is how he is this high priest, this special high priest in this certain order of Melchizedek. Now, we also find out that the Hebrew writer, what he's saying is, he's talking to people who are Jews. And he says, it's hard to make these things clear. Like, that's what he says in verse 11. Because they're not even trying to understand it at this point. What does that say about us? Are we a people who are listening and who are trying to understand that? You know, maybe think about a, a hard passage in the Bible or maybe a hard book of the Bible. Is it really because the book of the Bible is so difficult to understand? Or is it because you're not trying to understand it anymore? Now, I think sometimes it might be a little bit of both, but, you know, we need to listen to this warning. He's getting on to his audience and he's saying they're not even trying to understand what he says in verse 12, though. It should be something that kind of maybe should concern us a little bit. He says, in fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you. He's getting on to them. They should have been able to grow in Jesus Christ. They should have been able to become teachers and being able to teach other people but they still need people to teach them. So what about us today? You know, where do we stand? More importantly, you know, where do you stand? Are you able to teach other people? Have you grown in Christ like that? Or are you, for whatever reason, still needing someone to teach you all the time? And, and I'm not talking about just kind of, you know, whenever we, we sort of bounce ideas uh, and, you know, continue to teach one another. I'm not talking about some of those things. I think that what he's talking about here is these foundational things. In fact, that's what he goes on and, and he'll later talk about is that they don't even understand foundational teachings. We need to, to make sure that we are firmly rooted in the foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings so that we can build upon that foundation. So Jesus Christ, he is our prophet and he is our priest. There's still one more passage I want us to see from Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, we read here in verses 26 through 28, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sins, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, this is all talking about Jesus, by the way, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then uh, for the sins of the people. 
he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness. But the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. So Jesus Christ, we see that he is all these things. He is holy. He is blameless. He is pure. He is set apart from sinners and he exalted above the heavens. He's unlike these other priests. That's why it's a different order. It's the order of Melchizedek. We see that he's been made perfect and he offered up a sacrifice once for all time. He doesn't have to continue to offer up sacrifices. He's already done that. He's offered up the sacrifice of himself. Let's accept that sacrifice. Let's accept him as our high priest and let's follow him. Jesus is our prophet. He is our priest. He is also our king. Now, what the, the purpose behind a king was, was they were supposed to reign on the earth kind of as God reigns in heaven. And they were supposed to really reflect the rule and the reign of God here on earth. They're supposed to be showing to the world what God is like. Kings oftentimes didn't live up to that. Even the, the kings of Israel oftentimes didn't live up to that. But Jesus Christ did. Let's take a look at a few passages that talk about Jesus being king. For starters, from Jesus's own mouth. In Mark chapter 14, whenever he is brought in, and this is you know during his trial and stuff, we find out in verses 61 through 64 of Mark 14, Jesus is is on trial before um, the the whole like priesthood and and like Sanhedrin and stuff at this point. So he is before these these religious leaders. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting on the right hand of the, mad, of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Now to us, this seems like well, they're overreacting. Let's make sure that we realize what Jesus is actually saying in verse 62. Whenever he is asked the question, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? His response in 62 is, I am. Which, by the way, I kind of think is a little bit of a nod to the fact of, of God is the I am. So Jesus says, I am. But he goes in, into more details. He calls himself the son of man. He says that he's going to be sitting at the right hand of the mighty one, uh, of the almighty one of God. And that he's coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus uses all of these terms specifically. It's, it's from the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it, we see this image of a son of man ascending on these clouds of heaven and, and being with God right there and being on a throne with God. Jesus is making the statement that he is going to be exalted. Because of that, they took this as blasphemy. Which, by the way, if he wasn't God and if he wasn't, you know... Um, if these things weren't true, um, yeah, his statements would have been blasphemy. So, you know, the high priest, uh, I'm not trying to justify what he said, but when he said, you've heard the blasphemy, uh, yeah, Jesus was making bold claims. We need to understand how bold those claims were. The claims that he's making is he's going to be sitting on a throne next to God. Well, we actually see that that does happen. We find it from the words of Stephen, among other places. In Acts chapter 7, the last statements that Stephen makes before he himself is actually condemned to death, 
we see in verses 55 and 56. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, even though this doesn't say that the Son of Man has a throne, we can kind of put these pieces together and recognize that the Son of Man, that Jesus Christ, is at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ has a throne, and he is seated on that throne. Jesus Christ is our King. One final passage from the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 34, I'm sorry, 3 through 4, we read, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then on down in verse 6, And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. What do we see from this passage about Jesus Christ? Look especially at verse 3. That after Jesus provided purification for sins, he did that on the cross. After he provided that purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is enthroned in heaven. He is sitting on his throne. He is our king. He's become so much higher, so much, much better than everything else around us. So much superior as what's used right here. We see that even the angels are called to worship him. Well, think about this. If Jesus is worthy of the worship of angels, don't you think that he's also worthy of our worship as well? See, Jesus Christ, he is our king. And we need to honor him as such. Jesus Christ is also our high priest. And he offered up the perfect lamb of God himself in our place. And he's also this prophet. The prophet that we must listen to. And we must follow his commands. Jesus Christ is our prophet, our priest, our king. Comfort me, O gentle Savior. Hold me close. 